Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Dunked On. And before we begin, I just have to say that I am just incredibly touched, humbled. This has always been the case, but this is just yet another reminder of how awesome this community is, how much you appreciate the work that that we put in. The response to Dunked On Prime has been overwhelming, well beyond anything I could reasonably have expected for a first day. Seriously, I, I just cannot believe it. It's just so heartening and encouraging and just makes us really motivated to keep giving you even better content uh, with this service and if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet it's my pin tweet it'll be in the show notes here i wrote a, a whole long letter about why we're doing this and how it's going to work and the link to sign up is dunkedon.supportingcast.fm and that'll be in the show notes uh, of course as well and a reminder as well that we are delivering some content for that now including uh, the cap sheets uh, our first subscribers got that today along with the daily dunks we also have a mailbag podcast that is waiting for you in there as soon as you sign up. Some really interesting questions in there, actually, about what we would do in the play-in game and how we would change refereeing and some really interesting stuff on the Sixers and the Spurs. So most of it is still green, for sure. I don't think we really took anything specifically on the playoffs, so it should be of interest to everyone, we hope. And then on September 8th, that's when we take Dunked On subscription four days a week. Subscribers actually will get five days a week of ad-free coverage, but there will be one public podcast still per week. I'm also going to write up an FAQ on that same letter post that I referenced to some of the questions that we've been getting. I, I'm going to answer those uh, as soon as we're done here. So you should see that if you're listening to this tomorrow morning. Speaking of tomorrow morning, the Dallas Mavericks live to fight another day, tying this series at two. And I think there's a decent argument that they have had the run of play so far against the Clippers. There absolutely is. And for me, the inflection point of this game actually came later. It was in at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Luca picked up his fifth foul, terrible fifth, just like just brain fart to pick you know, offensive players. You know, the, the, the kind of in a lot of ways, the most important offensive player in the entire league picks up his fifth foul on Montrez Harrell early in the fourth quarter. And my thought was, oh, God. For the second game in a row, like Dallas, you could make an argument that overall they outplayed the Clippers, but this time, I mean, you could argue, and I would, that both times it was self-inflicted. It's going to go that direction, and that could not have been more wrong. I was stunned to see how well the how well the Mavericks fared, how easily they were able to get good shots. They played pretty solid defense overall in those minutes. Not perfect, but pretty solid. And Luka never had to come back in the game because his teammates took care of it. 
Well, it did come back in. I think when they cut it to like twelve. Yeah, I guess I guess that's left. true. But, I, I it, it, yeah. spiritually, I thought. Yeah, you're right. You're right, though. Yeah, but it. it, it I mean, you know. Yeah, he came in. Yeah, four and a half correct, left. Right? That's the, right. The, the technically correct is the best. The best kind of correct, at least on this yeah. show. We got to keep um, the brand strong. Yeah, but obviously they it. it never i think 10 was ever, ever the closest to that it got so yeah i guess we, we can start here for the clippers time to panic what is your your level of concern here for la it's still not super high i think i'm probably around a four or five because they are still a good team i mean i think that they're, they're they can be better than they were especially i mean the, the absence of patrick beverly was important but remember massive massive we'll talk more about that but sure. remember calf injuries are tricky and we don't know exactly what the timetable is going to be yeah. here well, well considering he apparently re-injured it yeah i mean uh, it, he, it was the same leg right I, I would assume it was i haven't seen that for sure but i believe so yeah i think i think yeah. i heard if it, it, were, I think, if it were a different leg, someone would have said something yeah i think uh, i remember something some, like kind of going through that earlier in the day but yeah and, and the clippers this comes up every once in a while like when we've talked about them is that they have this strength in terms of wing defense they have all the especially after they got marcus morris they have all these guys to defend the lebrons and maybe some for the anthony davises of the world they do have patrick beverly and paul george especially earlier in his career he was he was good better at guarding you know smaller guys but their perimeter defense that that those especially on guard on guards it is shallower than i had thought and then it's also not only because you know patrick beverly has that role but because the players who replace him so in this game reggie jackson replaced beverly in the starting lineup Williams played 32 minutes. Shamit played 18. None of those guys really had to have that gear defensively no and we saw that beverly set the tone in that dominating first few minutes in game one where the clippers have never really quite gotten back to that level of defense frankly and then it seems like doc is particularly with Montrez harrell still limited coming back from his absence is going to go with marcus morris at center and patrick beverly he might actually be the best help defender in that unit with yeah. the clippers so lo- losing him there is a problem and he also gives them another option on Luca, gives them more option to switch. Now, if you're going to put Reggie Jackson and Lou Williams out there, you got problems. When they put Shamit out there, he got cooked by uh, the greatest player in University of Michigan history, apparently, Trey Burke and Seth Curry. So that was a problem. And we talked about it before the playoffs even began, the lack of continuity. The Clippers really were actually running into shape before the hiatus, but they've had so many absences now. They are struggling. They try to integrate Marcus Morris as well. And so Doc doesn't really exactly know what he has. He actually, I mean, not only I think Danny does Doc Rivers not know the best combinations, but they actually are like kind of looking short a couple of players right now. Especially, I mean, you and I, like Landry Shamit to me, he doesn't look like the same guy he was last year, which is which is no. concerning because he yeah. could. And they need to run some plays for him. I think they, they need to, to get him going, actually, and like really make him a threat. But your problem is he can't guard anyone on the ball, apparently. Like off the ball, he can. But and, and remember, yeah, remember Shamit he, was he coming, guarded yeah. Steph Curry for portions of last year. Like yeah. in that, in and that he first did a good sense. job. Now, Shamit coming back from COVID 19 took him a while to clear. So, uh, you know, th- these are some things that. Uh, some of these guys are just inexplicably not playing that well. Though Shamit, you know, didn't have as large of a role this year anyway, so that could be part of it. And he's not getting that many chances to shoot it. But you know, always worth considering some of these things that maybe not necessarily that he is still experiencing negative effects, but just that he 
had to miss a bunch of time. So well, there, and, there's a, a lot of issues here. And, for the and so the reason I think some could, and it would be justified to go higher than I said a four or five in terms of panic level for the Clippers is that Dallas is a legitimately good team. Like this is not the Orlando Magic getting that game. And who knows when people are listening to this, maybe, maybe by that point, the Magic will have gotten a second game. But Dallas... You know, they were they were a, a very strong team in terms of point differential. They underperformed because of some clutch struggles and they were the league's best offense this year. And they you yeah. know, their their defense was inconsistent to be sure this year, but but it had some moments. And I, I think we got a lot of reminders of that. And then Rick Carlisle's one hell of a coach. They have capable players and Carlisle is able to put his players in a position to succeed most of the time. There are a few little foibles that I have with it, but nothing too bad. And they they look just like the team when you and I were talking about it, that we thought the Clippers should move away from the two if they could, because the three was just a better spot. Now Utah has looked better too, but I think that Dallas, you know, was the idea that Dallas was better than the Jazz, and I I still stand by that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they have a a lot more talent, and we'll get to Dallas in a second, and they're an outstanding effort. A lot of guys really really played well for this Dallas team, Uh, but, you know, I, I say this sometimes, and yes, like the Clippers could not stop Dallas. It's looking like they're not going to be able to stop Dallas after like that first flurry particularly if Beverly is going to be unavailable and you know again who knows how long it's going to be before you like if you have a bad enough calf or hamstring injury that you have to miss a game usually that's going to be a weak absence you know we see sometimes guys come back like Clay Thompson he only missed one game last year for example in the finals but and maybe this is just abundance of caution we got to have him healthy for the next series although I'll tell you what Danny I would be prioritizing trying to win this series a lot more than the next one because they're going to take care of whoever it is in the next round if they get there so uh that's one thing to consider it's not going to be like your typical first round to second round progression in terms of difficulty and all uh, eventuality so the defense I mean, do you think that this Morris at center lineup, is that the way to go at the end of games? They went to it very early on, hoping that it would get them back into it with about nine minutes left in the fourth. And they really, uh, defensively, they just got absolutely barbecued without Luka on the floor for most of that. I focus a lot on the small lineups not having enough rim protection and not, you know, the idea of that most of these teams don't have a dream on green. But the other part of those lineups, whether we're talking the Warriors or some of the other small lineups that have worked defensively over the years, is you have to have a lot of capable help defenders guys with good instincts and the Clippers have more talented man defenders but they don't really have that same type of especially if we're talking getting an extra guy to the basket they don't want a guys who've had that responsibility at other points in their career and they're just adapting something else it's the it's it's not that really that situation you know Kawhi is yeah. more is, is not he hasn't had those kinds of responsibilities this he, isn't he like, and PG like need to be dominant defensively if those units are going to work and I, right. I don't think that they are at this point right now. it's the the idea of basically being that the way those lineups work is by not having as many messes to clean up rather than being good at cleaning up those messes no that's a, a great way to put it and you know morris is a, a pretty limited help defender as his size i know he had those steals in the first game but generally he's not going to protect the room Kawhi's not going to protect the room pg it's not going to protect the room so well, you know. on that point two blocks in this game yeah so it's uh you're talking about for the whole team whole team whole team yeah. two blocks four steals yeah and you know maybe you could have said they'd go back to Zubats, but Zubats uh, was ineffective in this game i thought he was really good in game one he was not as good in this one and particularly you know the mavs kept trying to get him guarding porzingis where he really is going to run into problems with the spacing that porzingis provides harold's not ready i mean maybe you get some jamichael green in there but he's i mean he's okay ish as a room server he's still a power forward and so uh 
And and yeah, he doesn't yeah, have yeah. amazing help instincts either. He's not terrible, but I wouldn't say that's a real strength of Jermichael Green's game. And then you also throw in that they're going to put Lou Williams on the floor with all these guys. And now, so now you're in situations where you're almost certainly going to have to have two on the ball. They actually did not double team with Lou Williams this time. And he, he got cooked a, a couple of times late, uh, as did Shamit. So, but if you got Lou Williams on the floor, you're gonna you're basically in a must help situation, right? You talked about how you're either gonna put two on the ball with him, or you're gonna go right at him, and someone is gonna have to help out. And the other thing was that it seemed like the Clippers were very attuned to Dallas's three point shooting, and Dallas did a nice job just overall adjusting getting to the basket. The Clippers also could can just defend better in isolation too. I mean, yes. And Chris Weber noted this that basically they're going to their right hand every single time time in these isolations at least just make the guy go left for christ's sake like uh and guys are just going a strong hand right to their end trey burke is just blowing guy guys by guys for layups um but i think we should turn to so well, you know, one, other, one other thing yeah, for the sorry. clippers yeah. before we before we move on a reason not to panic as severely and again for the four or five or something here is that they did shoot 10 of 34 on threes in this game and yeah it, although some of that uh, were some misses late absolutely uh, and paul george had uh, with his 417 he had it seemed like he had a lot of big shots that maybe could have got them back into contact and you just missed all of them right and so but so like i mean you think about how some of those how some of those misses slide back in and if they progress to the mean then they they should be okay but yeah i want to i want to shift to praising the hell out of the dallas mavericks Uh, oh i I do have one more stat for you here on the Clippers first before we do that uh, and before we take a break as well Kawhi leonard 35 points 10 of 21 13 of 14 his first step looked really good to me clippers when he's on the floor not amazing to keep up with this Dallas team, but 111 offensive rating, that's totally fine. In his seven minutes off the floor, 72 offensive rating for the Clippers. And they did defend better with him off the floor, but that's a, I don't make as much of that. Uh, so, and with George being unavailable you know supposedly this clippers unit the whole reason you have lou williams and montrose harrell is you got that awesome pick and roll and harrell just i mean i thought he looked a little better today he like ran the floor for a couple of post outs he got that lou or uh that lou luka Doncic fifth foul which was nice but you know he's still not there yet either particularly defensively he doesn't have the explosion we have he hasn't got any dunks yet uh really in traffic which he's good for so um but yeah let's take a quick break and then we can talk about Kristaps porzingis and the dallas mavericks Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. 
and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. Things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so i thought that christos prozingis has certainly had more dominating offensive games but in terms of his overall impact i would say that this is actually you know against a really good team here i would say that this is one of the best games that i've seen him play I would agree. I thought that for a rim protector in particular, or as a, a big man playing defense, because it wasn't all at the rim, you're looking at a lot of different factors. It can be what kind of shots are the opponents taking? What kind of shots are they are, are they opening up for their own team? You know, all those sorts of things. And I thought that Porzingis was way more, was way more impactful. And it was it made it it was so exciting to see him as that player in a game of this importance yeah absolutely and as you wondered how good he could be he had a terrible defensive game against Dame Lillard who obviously was molten I thought he was bad defensively before obviously getting ejected he was very motivated to come back then he was questionable with right knee soreness then got upgraded to probable that's not the knee that he hurt with the torn ACL but it is the knee that caused him to somewhat mysteriously miss about 10 games and like have a couple of false starts where he'd warm up and then not play uh earlier during the season and i mean look at all those drives that they had i mean trey burke seth curry 
Dalen Wright, Luca to some degree. How many finishes did those guys have where they were just finishing around their own defender? Yeah. And there was no big man anywhere near. Now, part of that was the Clippers didn't play a big man, but there just wasn't help on any of these drives. And that's because Chris Porzingis is spacing everyone out. He also shot it well with three or four from three. But again, it clearly the emphasis for the Clippers was to take away the Mavs threes. They only shot 29 threes when they were what, like 45, 50 or something last game. And so the Dallas strategy changed, but that was all because of what Porzingis was doing. And then yeah, defensively, he just deterred so many shots at the rim he also had one of his best rebounding games i know he only had six defensive rebounds but zubats had zero offensive rebounds and porzingis is guarding him all the time zubats a great offensive rebounder and porzingis actually like boxed out which you rarely see for him so he came in just like like a house of fire in this one and if they get this Kristaps Porzingis, they're going to be extremely difficult to handle going forward. It also served as an example of something that's been in the back of my mind for a long time, which is there is always an excitement when a team plays a guy at the five who can shoot. And a lot of it is, oh, well, if you play a guy at the five who can shoot, then that means you could play somebody at a different spot that doesn't. And, you know, there, and there are different times that Dallas does that. You could think of, you know, Dwight Powell or various other various other circumstances where they play Porzingis next to somebody. What excites me the most is when you don't do that, when you give the other team no quarter and I thought we saw some of the benefits of that that not every Maverick is a knockdown you know amazing shooter but the idea that they almost always play guys that you have to respect and that is another part of why you why they face so little resistance around the basket yeah absolutely I mean Wright is really the only guy Kleba hasn't shot it well but he's got a reputation and and Boban you know the center but and Boban you know it was interesting he he had a really nice first half thing he didn't do much in the second half but that he was huge in helping them stake out to that lead at 13 points in 10 minutes they found the right matchup for him against Harrell I think with Harrell limited you can get away with that a a little bit more Doncic was dominant and then he got that fourth foul had to go out in the third and the the Mavs continued to build the lead then he had to go out again but 37 29 in the third for the Mavs I mean that really put them up 13 that was the winning margin in this game and they did it all really without Luka it was I think it was like a five point game or so when Luka Luca had to go out and just a lot of that was Porzingis he played basically the rest of the way there um I mean also pretty amazing that you know no Mav played more than Tim Hardaway Jr.'s 37 minutes and yeah they really distributed things out pretty well they had Seth well, Curry who was awesome in this game Seth that's Curry where I was gonna go is that part of it was that yeah. their bench guys played really well they didn't need as much from their they didn't need all their starters to go exactly. yeah, I thought Seth Curry played really well I thought that you know just the reliability of shooting and, and the finishing I mean he had benefited from having more space to operate but being five of five of six inside the arc is pretty amazing for Seth Curry I thought that DeLon Wright had some had some nice moments Trey Burke I mean we have to go through that 16 points 7 of 11 from the field all but one of those were twos and then he had a couple steals and I, and I thought he played well overall and and then best driving game I've ever absolutely. seen had. he looked fast out there yeah he, he, looked, he looked better than he to me in that sense that he really ever has a pro but I also want to mention Lucas first half like you brought up the idea that the, it was like what was so stunning to me that the, the Mavs didn't end up needing him as much in the second half as I expected Luca in the first half 22 points 7 to 12 from the field 4 to 6 from 3 4 of 8 from the line a couple more misses but getting there 8 times and a half is great 7 assists 1 turnover remember all the turnovers he had at the beginning of game one right and so yeah he helped them stake out that lead and then just wasn't as big of a part of the second half and they came away with it anyway so you pick clippers in five i clippers in six would you at this point revise that prediction yes 
especially particularly with the, with the Beverly Beverly that's yeah. that's really a problem yeah I wouldn't go let I still think the Clippers are going to win this series but yeah it's six or six or seven oh, probably God, I, I think I might go seven I, and I, mean, I I could absolutely see Dallas winning this series like I I there is no hesitation to me like when when I said that my concern level is a four or five that's more just because I think the Clippers can play better than they did but Dallas I mean absolutely they have a chance to win this series well George Leonard Morris I mean is everyone else kind of has some limitations right now with this Clippers group and we loved how deep they were we loved uh, some of the signings uh, that they made the trade for Morris but other than those three guys who clearly are going to be out there all the time Doc Rivers is really searching for answers and yeah and Lou Williams is going to be out there and I don't think they can really stop them when Lou Williams is out there Porzingis is causing them big problems they got no help at the rim now that now it's probably going to switch back and they'll shoot a bunch of threes again but they can't stop these guys like that is clear to me now Luca we thought oh he was gonna it was just gonna be impossible for him against George and Leonard well those guys actually aren't spending that much time on Luca Doncic it's been Marcus Morris mostly as the primary defender they right when Luca came back in to start the fourth they had Kawhi on him and they immediately got a jump ball but then Luca right after that ends up getting his fifth ball and he goes out um so you know, I think the Clippers they might have to win this series on offense right now and no I don't think that the Clippers are gonna lose but I mean they might have lost game one if Chris House Porzingis doesn't get ejected right I mean don't yeah. forget that that happened and I mean Porzingis is really causing a lot of problems well, and remember right. how anomalous the beginning of game one was you know that, that yeah. basically everything goes wrong for Dallas they're down 18 to 2 Lucas turned it over I believe five times already at that point and after that they outplayed the Clippers and yeah. it looked like things were going in that direction before Porzingis got ejected and it's I mean there's this there's this challenge where the Clippers are still a very good team but Dallas can win this like, I picked the Clippers to win the championship a few days ago and I still absolutely feel that that could be the case this isn't like slipping away from them necessarily but Dallas is a well a well coached team a well built team and it's and they're really giving them some problems yeah so and they got to get Harold back playing well I don't know if that's going to happen like Montrez Harold looks real heavy right now like around his midsection and his arms and understandable that that's the case I'm not blaming him but we have to be honest about where he is as a basketball player right now and Lou Williams who we were thought shouldn't be in the closing lineup now he kind of like has to be out there but some of his effectiveness is taken away without Harrell and Shamit, Reggie Jackson, Beverly. I mean, like they just, they desperately need that one more two-way guy in Beverly who also really helps a lot. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think this could go seven. I, I think you're right. Like it's, it's looking that way. Let's uh, turn here to, well, I'll let you pick the next one actually. Let's stay in the Western Conference and go to, yeah. you go to Utah, Denver, and I'm going to start here. I thought that Denver played better defense, and and for most of the game, I would say markedly better defense than they did in Game 1 in terms of execution, and they still got absolutely flambéed. It was an it was an ass-kicking by, uh, by the Utah Jazz. Yeah, I and mean, the Jazz finished 20 of 44 from 3, but they were well over 50% for most of the game, and they got a ton of them up as well. They did fine on the offensive glass, 28% offensive rebounds. That was big. And, I mean, here, here's your problem, Danny. Like, Denver was 13 of 27 from 3, you know granted 17 fewer attempts but they shot 48 percent again and they weren't in this game after the halfway mark of the third quarter and you know i think they didn't have as many just like obvious errors but 
and maybe they're just i think just their overall capabilities as a defensive team are just so limited right now we just heard that will barton isn't going to be i mean he's basically done for the series it seems like he's left the bubble now to get more treatment on that knee gary harris who knows when he's going to be back so they basically have one guy on this team who could possibly even think about staying in front of donovan mitchell that's tory craig and then they tried to change up their pick and roll get more aggressive and donovan mitchell just absolutely was transcendent again he did it in a completely different way this time he he was 10 of 14 6 of 7 for 3 i mean that's got to be maybe his most efficient game that he's ever had he also had eight assists seven of them were for threes and he was throwing these great passes where they would try to get two on the ball two bigger guys and so he would use his great athleticism jump in the air corkscrew himself including one where he did a 360 in the air and passed it to niang in the corner which is an unbelievable pass and he's just finding these shooters with these gun passes on the weak side in utah even without boyan there's a concern they weren't gonna hit the three well they certainly have so far and at the rate that the denver nuggets give up threes they could be in trouble in this series yeah if, if we're gonna bring back time to panic and focus it on the the superior seed here for the nuggets i would be at it i would be at an eight i i think that their the their defense it's, it just looks so hard for them to solve this riddle and i thought that something we uh, matt moore talked about this and i might get it a little bit wrong but we saw utah once they kind of got into the idea that denver was going to be hedging more they changed some of their ancillary position making like some of the other players and put them in positions where donovan mitchell could see them and basically that he was able to find shooters this team moves the ball exceedingly well and so they that was getting good shots and yes they're not going to go in at the rate that they did here that is probable if not definite that's just the way it works you're not going to shoot almost almost 50 from three in in the first two games of a series and continue that moving forward I really liked a lot of what, like, the, those kind of approaches continuing to work. And as you said, Donovan Mitchell succeeding in different ways. And I also wanted to single out Royce O'Neal. I thought that Royce O'Neal has shown more depth to his game. I think we've seen more, more comfortable oh, yeah. with the ball in his hands. He's also him having the primary assignment for a lot of this game on Jamal Murray. I thought that that made a meaningful difference as well. And yeah, a lot of people were calling for that at the end. I think we probably should have mentioned that actually in game one when uh, they were the Jokic yes, Murray pick and, and roll was lighting up. That did not light, light up the Jazz in this one. Jamal Murray, 14 points, six of 13 from the field, only got to the line once, four assists, three turnovers, and they were outscored by 20 points in his 30 minutes. Yeah, and O'Neal also had like a couple of like awesome backdoor passes as well. And I mean, the Jazz just, the Nuggets are not making them uncomfortable. Quinn Snyder has them completely prepared. In the third quarter, he ran up the same play three times in a row. They hit some different options off of it. First, when Denver switched back to dropping Jokic after they were getting completely destroyed by putting two on the ball and the first one rudy gobert sets a flare screen out of like a little like double high set like way out on the floor like kind of on the left side of the floor like a double high screen then they set ingles would set the screen for mitchell then he would get a flare screen for gobert and then gobert would go set the screen for mitchell and so they got an ingles three and then they got two mitchell threes out of that with Jokic just kind of hanging out in the paint waiting for someone to go inside the arc and they never had to and they had a bunch of other different set play calls out of balls in the third like he was like a catcher just throwing an awesome game uh, or calling an awesome game with an ace who was just dealing and donovan mitchell was was that ace in this one and so everything that he was calling worked it helps when you're hitting a ton of threes 
And then in the first half, yes, Rudy Gobert was awesome on the short roll. We wondered whether he could be effective there. We thought maybe they would have to do more shorting the pick and roll. That wasn't necessary. Again, Mitchell did a great job of finding him. Got a lot of secondary assists that way. In fact, Gobert at one point drives in, gets two guys on him, and throws a sweeping left-handed hook pass along the baseline for a three. Your 7-2 center, who's the best defensive player in the NBA, and yes, he is the best defensive player in the NBA. We'll talk about one of the other candidates uh, for that in a second. But just awesome work from the Jazz. Uh, Gobert was dealing. He would. He also was able to like take a dribble down the lane, take his time, not charge, finish the layup if that was there uh, with those guys uh, on the backside. And then, I mean, defensively, like take a look at Denver's shot chart, Danny. Like, uh, you know, it was positive that, hey, you know, they got to play Porter more. They got to get more offense on the floor. And like, oh, well, they, this is a defensive loss for them. And yes, it was because they just don't have the personnel defensively, which starts with Jokic and Michael Porter. But offensively, like they were incredibly lucky to score 105 points in this game. Yes and no. I thought that they missed a bunch of layups that they could have gotten. Okay, yeah, that- I will give you that. I mean, they were 8 and 19 at the rim. Some of those might be the Gobert footsteps. But yeah, Murray in particular in the third quarter, I think he bonked like three layups. So yeah, I, I will agree with you on that. Like they could have made three or four more of those. Um, But also they this was extended garbage time as well but they were shooting 50 percent for three basically throughout the whole game well and and something that i amused me a little bit so there were some nuggets fans that got a little bit chesty with both of us after we were so critical of them in a game that they won in game one and first of all mentioning that utah should have won that game if if it weren't for the donovan mitchell mental mistake i'm pretty confident that they would have um but also remember that yes jamal murray went supernova Jokic had some really strong moments too but they also got a relatively efficient game from tory craig Monte Morris had a better game than we anticipated and the Dozier minutes went fine it wasn't necessarily that he was great though I thought he was totally fine out there and all of those pretty much went went the other way Torrey Craig didn't score only took two shots in 28 minutes and they were outscored pretty heavily in those not that that was all Torrey Craig's fault of course but worth noting and Monte Morris was more normal the the bench offense for the Nuggets was not was more in line with kind of what concerned me as a possibility in this just especially when you put Porter Jr. in the starting lineup and then they just and so you're just kind of like okay that means that the other players are going to need to step up and Jamal Murray didn't have a great game Jokic was fine offensively and abysmal defensively that's actually one of my favorite stats or one of the most telling stats for me in the game do you know Nikola Jokic's defensive rating in this game oof uh, I'll I tell mean, you, it starts with a one, and then it goes to a six, and then it goes to a one. Holy shit. And, and now, that's important to remember here, too, because Gobert, other than one possession, when Michael Malone like shuttles him to the scorer's table before Quinn Snyder could get Gobert in, those guys matched up their minutes every competitive moment of the game. And then Mitchell matches up almost all of his minutes with Gobert. So it really is like a starters versus starters type of thing. And yeah, they are uh, getting cooked in those minutes. So yeah, this doesn't feel the same for Utah as theoretically if they'd gotten the split and then we're going back to Salt Lake City, but they're in a really good spot. I mean, especially if, and it sucks that this is a part of it, that Barton is basically out. I mean, Denver Post, I believe, had that first. I would I would assume he's out for the series, even if you think about the, the mandatory quarantine if he comes back in. I mean, it seems really unlikely. Yeah, there, there's and, no way. Like, like yeah. you, you, I mean, he's he, he's in the Demonis Sabonis situation. Yeah, and then we don't know what's going on with Gary Harris, but rule he was remember he was ruled out a full day early before game two. That's never a good sign. And even though they haven't needed Mike Conley, getting his stability into this rotation, you know, even if it's just like getting him in, 
Emmanuel Moutier off the yeah. floor. You know, it's like some of those some of those rotational elements. Yeah, I, I do think actually. Difference. I mean, I love what Donovan Mitchell is doing, and we talked about how him playing a point guard in the past that's been good for him, but not as good for the Jazz offense. Now it's obviously very good for the Jazz offense. So hopefully Conley will just kind of fit in more around him uh, rather than you know them putting the ball in his hands a lot. And you know he gives them another good shooter and ball handler. Like they're those going to do a lot of driving and kicking that that's look good. But yeah, I, hopefully it'll still be Mitchell's show here when Conley returns. Agreed, and I think I think it will be. Um, but yeah. yeah, so I think Utah should be feeling very very good about where they are. And also you were talking about how how Denver was. You could argue that they were fortunate to have 105 points. Uh, I, I think a, a good arrow in your quiver was that they were 10 of 17 from mid range in this game. Right. And, yeah, and they were great from three again with these guys who are not great three point shooters. A lot of them. Porter was is good, but the rest of the team not really. I've got so, a few yeah, more it, things here. Uh, absolutely. If there's a, anything else you really want? I mean, to do you want to talk about Michael Porter's offensive game? I mean, it was, yeah, it was good. Yeah, but uh, I mean, some of it was in garbage time again. But yeah, I mean, he that's can, true. He can get hot on those high release three pointers when you swing it to him on the weak side. Um, but he just is getting barbecued every single time. I mean, it's gotten to the point where if he's in an isolation against Mitchell, they just have to run another defender at it. And I mean, you, yeah, it's you, the, the Lou Williams treatment, basically. Right, exactly. And when you're running another defender at it and your rim protector is Jokic, you're done, basically, at, at that point. Uh, Joe Ingles had another good game. I what, who did? Sorry. Ingles. Yeah. No, and he uh, is just very steady, able to attack uh, off the pick and roll. They just have so many ball handlers who can just continue to put the Nuggets into difficulty. Even that Quinn Snyder blender was really working. Well, it, and on top of that, who don't make mistakes. Like, yeah. it, it, was, it was incredible to watch all of the passes and the movement and everything like that. And they just weren't really, you know, each one of those creates a possibility of like a, a mishandled pass or a misthrown pass or just not getting the timing right. And, and I thought particularly with Ingles, it, it just wasn't really, that part of it wasn't happening with him, which is super impressive. And they were cycling in players that weren't as as central to their success overall in the year. Like Niang, I thought I thought he played totally fine in his 21 minutes, which is more, that was more in line with what you talked about. And on that line of like not screwing things up, I thought that Tony Bradley was fine. I didn't think he was unbelievable. But, you know, if he's fighting Mason Plumlee to a draw, and when you consider how, how much the Jazz miss when Gobert's off the floor, they'll live with that. So Gobert... I mean, that one block that he had of Jokic as the shot clock was expiring, where he basically just like volleyball spiked the ball through the floor on that play. Jokic is not comfortable getting to just his normal floater jump hook that he can get over most people. I mean, on that play, he's like leaning backwards way further than he normally would be. He still gets blocked. And then the other thing that makes Gobert so special is he's still making an impact on guys like Jamal Murray at the rim making an impact on the pick and roll ball handler even in a pick and pop situation and he's still getting back to his man and impacting Jokic. Jokic had another decent enough game although you know six assists but it wasn't that I mean how many of those like ridiculous passes have we seen from Jokic like we haven't seen any of that part of that is because they don't have Harris or Barton who are good cutting off of them and you know but we haven't seen like the backdoor game the Jazz has done a great job of taking that type of stuff away. Uh, Jordan Clarkson was really good particularly in transition and the Jazz got back it. Quinn Snyder talked about that in his after the first quarter interview and it was really the Nuggets particularly in that decisive third quarter that failed to get back on defense many of those after some of those layups that they missed as they went eight of 19 at the rim a few other just like small strategic notes that I like to look at in this game because there are, are a lot of just interesting stuff and interesting players and guys we haven't seen in these roles for example when both teams actually were switching pick and rolls when the reserve centers 
were in the game i think that was really more of an offensive thing of like hey let's switch a monte morris Plumley pick and roll and make Morris beat us in an ISO. I mean, he was even new on his Tony Bradley or, hey, we'll invite you to post up Mason Plumley. Like, go for that. And the, the Denver Nuggets actually did the same thing on the other end. George Yang hit like a Dirk fade with the shot clock. That was hilarious. Uh, but he's also, he's kind of, he's trying to get to like Davis Bertans level as a shooter, but, and like shoot these on the move, but he's still not quite there yet. He got, had like one three where he didn't have his feet set. He got another three blocked. And you know, that's what he's got to be to survive in the league. Like I encourage him to continue to be aggressive, but he's not quite at that point. Yeah, but he, he obviously helped. Uh, Juwan Morgan started again and he had a corner three he had a nice alley-oop and transition that was about it in the competitive portion of the game but uh, he at least rebounds provides the body and what Quinn Satter did was he actually started maybe just like the first three possessions of each half with Morgan guarding Nikola Jokic just I think to kind of mess with their head and also make sure that Rudy Gobert could get into the game without getting a quick foul in those first three possessions which happens to him pretty often so I thought that was was pretty useful uh just a, another interesting little strategic wrinkle and anything well, and, uh, anything that you think that sorry what were you gonna say there i was gonna change the subject but um no i was th- that reminded me like of the some of the little things that quinn snyder brought up is like one of the reasons i felt uncomfortable picking the nuggets in the series i thought they had the talent advantage which i i now feel poorly about was that i thought quinn snyder he has he's trying more things he his teams always feel super prepared and yeah i think we're we're seeing that in this series because the jazz are playing a team that doesn't that isn't a matchup nightmare for them like so many of their other recent playoff yeah the houston rockets in particular they i mean they have won their all of their other playoff series against uh, obviously the everyone other like, against the, the non-rockets and warriors and, yeah. and warriors yeah so i don't really have a lot of adjustments here for mike malone at this point they've tried everything they possibly can defensively and it's just not going to work with nikola Jokic and these defensive cast of characters i mean in particular any pick and roll with porter and Jokic involved is just a complete disaster porter just you know he, he might as well have super glue on his jersey for how well he gets through screens and Jokic can't protect the rim at all he's made i think one play at the rim defensively in two games and it's real and there are many in denver i was said this going back to last year that i just didn't think that against a really high level of offense that Nikola Jokic and a Nikola Jokic-led defense would be good enough. And if you cannot defend the pick and roll either by switching or mostly with two players, maybe you help out a little bit, you just cannot be an elite defense in today's NBA. Yes, the 2012 Miami Heat could do that. They also had LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh on their team. The Denver Nuggets do not have that type of talent. And any and it's particularly bad now because the, the Nuggets actually had decent defenders as far as staying in front of guys in some of their base lineups but now that they don't have that they have no help at the rim or you have to send in another wing and now you're giving up a wide open three so they are just getting completely torched and i just don't know exactly what the answer is they tried a few things like they tried to get more of murray screening for Jokic. i think they should continue to do more of that I mean, I think playing Craig more that you just have to, but he's going to drop off a little bit offensively. Maybe you could say maybe they try and go with Porter at the four where his defense won't be as damaging, but then they don't have, are you going to play Dozier then? Like that's not really that great either. So maybe they need to just go all offense and try and outscore these guys. But I mean, they to have shot as well as they have from three and played as poorly as they have is 
really a concern. And I mean, I, I think this is, I think they'll win one more game this year. I think it's going to be a six gamer, barring any like massive changes in terms of injury. Maybe Gary Harris can save him if he comes back, but he's, I mean, between COVID 19 and not having played a single game in the bubble, he didn't even play actually in the scrimmages, I don't think, much less I don't the think he game. Did. So, I mean, there's counting on him to just come in after not having played a single moment of live action, having COVID 19 and being injured, I don't think is realistic at this point, unless they can stay in the series you know maybe he could play two or three games and then start being good but he's not gonna be good right away that seems anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user in capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Possible. Are we ready to move on to Celtic Sixers? Yeah, definitely. Not quite as much on this one. Uh, I don't think. I, I mean, it just starts with, I think, the Sixers offensively, other than Joel Embiid, they just have nothing. Yeah, I thought, you know, the first quarter, we got to see the the really good, the, the dominant Joel Embiid. They got everything they could have wanted out of him. 15 points on six and nine from the field and he was doing a lot of it around the basket get, and you know getting getting to his spots and working and then something uh Seth Partner noted and numerous other people and it was totally right is that as the game went on he just the the, the opportunities just come but kept on going further and further back he ended the game with only four shots in the restricted area seven from floater range eight from three or sorry eight from mid-range sorry and um and then two threes which he missed both of and so yeah I mean but so indeed it was it started amazing and it stayed you know he was still the best thing they had going basically the entire time but yeah i think you're right that the story was everybody else just not being good enough and al horford i believe he got his first touch of the game at least in any sort of a playmaking or a threatening way even just on like dho's and stuff five minutes into the game like he just has nothing to do i mean it's pretty amazing to think about that like al horford has nothing to do now and that's with ben simmons who can't stand outside the three-point arc either not being available like they're actually more balanced offensively now than before and al horford still has absolutely zero role al horford thrives in the handoff game 
team like is he even like he's not involved in pick and pop to like shoot a three i mean maybe if you just leave him wide open you throw it to him like he came off the bench in this one obviously i mean that's part of why he didn't get those touches uh i mean i guess that's a reason why because yeah i forgot that he didn't start so uh forget but about he that. came in but he came in reasonably that. early yeah but he played 23 minutes negative 11 uh they started thiple but he was a team worst negative 30 he got lit up by jason tatum who was outstanding. We'll talk about him. Another ridiculous game from Jason Tatum. He's been one of the best players in the, in the playoffs so far. And well, Embiid, let's get there now. I mean, 34 points, but it's just that there's not enough. Well, no, actually, yeah. Embiid is a good bridge to go from one side to the other because yeah. the other kind of well, big Well, thing... I, I got to kill Tobias Harris first, though, Danny. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, I, I, and, and the Sixers front office. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> I, I feel like we've. It was funny. Somebody was saying we should kill. We should be more critical of the Sixers front office, and I thought we've been plenty critical. But uh, if if people want, if people want that, we will we will give them what they want. And Tobias Harris, you know, they gave. Not only did did he get a near max contract, but remember that the Sixers gave up Shamit. Granted, he hasn't, which is good this year. Also gave up the picks, which then became a part of the Paul George trade. Um, and th- at that point, it was the idea of Tobias Harris playing alongside Simmons and Embiid, that he could be kind of the antidote, that he could that he could cure those, that he could kind of smooth in some of the stuff in the offense and and fit in defensively, you know, kind of be, be good enough. Now he needs to step into a larger role because Ben Simmons isn't there. And yes, that is not what Tobias Harris is best at, but he was, I mean, he just doesn't move, he didn't move the needle out all offensively in this game no four of 15 he also i mean he and jamal murray get the miss layup awards winners for the day but i mean harris was really struggling there and he never gets to the foul line of course either you can't i mean they're not running anything through him yeah except for some post-ups which were bad right and that then you're taking Joel and beat out of the post al horford that's probably where he can be best a, a lot of the times uh, ben simmons if he were healthy he'd, be, he'd probably be trying to post up against a mismatch too i i suppose and yeah against you know a marcus smart like Tobias Harris maybe could do some stuff when they had Jimmy Butler on the team and Jimmy Butler was being guarded by the other team's best perimeter defender. Now, Boston has a lot of good perimeter defenders, obviously, but he can't do anything against someone who's good and they don't have enough shooting around him either. He's not a good enough dribbler to really be, you know, just bring the ball up and really attack it. You know, maybe he can get like a handoff and get going, but like if he has to take more than like two or three dribbles, you know, that's not really his game. He's just going to kind of find some spots to score every now and again, but he's, I mean, why the hell they traded for him? Why the hell they gave him that contract i mean which i guess was fade complete after they traded for him uh, well and really if you're gonna it. give him that con like it, it seemed to me like there was a big judgment flaw which is the clippers weren't going to give him that contract so unless there was somebody else that was going after tobias harris well he did have the be- small cap hold that was one one thing that helped you the 22 million dollar cap hold i mean that's yeah you know, they, 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 al horford more yeah no no exactly yeah actually hilariously bodner was tweeting that uh Markel Fultz would be like the best ball handling guard in the Sixers right now. And and I uh, in jest responded to him that, no, they actually need that money to sign Al Horford. And I, I mean, I'll admit, I did not expect that it was going to go this badly for the Sixers this year. But I mean, they gave up a buck 28 in this game. And yeah, they're missing Ben Simmons, but they weren't like defending that great when Ben Simmons was around in the bubble either. I thought this could be one of the greatest defensive teams of all time. And Josh Richardson, like when's the last time Josh Richardson made one of those like shark plays and just like took the ball from someone like he used to in my Miami. Yeah, we haven't really seen it much. And also, like, going to what was at times a very aggressive drop coverage against this Celtics team is 
basically, it, it's almost like it feels like a concession because they have a lot of guys that could take advantage of that. In Boston, they overall in the game, six of 11 from mid-range, got to the floater game reasonably well. Also, they, they drilled a, a bunch of threes like that. And, and maybe you could say that that would be a little bit different. But Boston has players to take advantage of that. And even with Gordon Hayward being out, and I, I thought we saw a little bit in the first quarter of like the, something that makes me a little bit uncomfortable with Boston in the second round, which is Marcus Smart in the starting lineup, great defensively, but it does make their it does make their offense lack a little bit of pop. Like he just, I just don't. I think he gives the other team some outs, but I don't think that matters enough in this series. I think that Boston just has them absolutely handled, especially if Jason Tatum continues making every jump shot he ever takes. Yeah, the first five threes that he hit were all ridiculous, including one that was like a 37-footer contested off the backboard. But going to his right in particular, off the dribble, like all five of those shots are off the dribble, three-point shots. Like he, his rookie year, he was spotting up and hitting 40%. Now he's hitting 40% off the dribble, and the Sixers are playing Embiid like right around the basket. And you know the idea being that we're just going to really pressure up outside, and then if you try and go back door, Embiid will be there. If you try and drive, Embiid will be there. But Tatum really abused that. And then when Embiid got a little more attuned to that, then they got like a nice backdoor because the guy was still top locking. There was a, a miscommunication. Ben Gunny pointed that out on the broadcast. And I mean, the overall line from Tatum was just ridiculous. I mean, he's had these two great 30 point games in each of the these first two well yeah and he Tatum it was memorable that he really struggled in one of the the early seating games I believe that was one against the Bucks but after that he's been very good and he's been excellent yeah. in, the, in the playoff games he, he was on my all uh my second team all bubble I think everyone just forgot about him because he had that first bad game and it was like oh he doesn't look right uh now nah, he looks right to me and another effective offensive performance from Jalen Brown 6 of 13 from the field but an important 6 of 6 from the line and I thought he played capable defense and Kemba looks pretty right to me physically i mean he had some confident shots also had one of the crazier plays a lot there was a lot of attention paid to the jalen brown 360 dunk but i think what led to that was even crazier because kemba would drove and he basically got his shot annihilated by joel Embiid, and kemba went into what would have been the crowd and then joel Embiid's dribbling the ball up floor and then all of a sudden kemba pops it out from behind him and then that that ensuing flurry is what led to the ball going to jalen brown he gets the 360 dunk he he tries defensively that's what sets him apart from some of these other small offensive guards like he's really invested yeah and it fits in beautifully with this team and and I, I I was also like I brought up the idea that Marcus Smart concerned me a little bit I also thought that Daniel Tice there were a couple times when they were running in that drop coverage where he record scratched spectacularly hard like he gets the ball and he yeah. kind of looks at the pump fake he's holding it and holding it and holding it but I think that will get better if it also like Brad Stevens could tell him if hey you're capable defensively and you do all these other things but you have to, that's kind of a part of it and sometimes especially in the maybe the early part of the playoffs it's good to have somebody who's a little bit more decisive and his canner is a little bit more decisive and also i was encouraged though the, this game got out of hand pretty quickly some capable minutes from grant williams as well who was only a marginal factor in game one yeah what they did was when al horford was the center they went with williams at center and then they brought in cancer uh, to go against and beat and i thought cancer did a, a pretty good job and his cancer was plus 24 in this one he had four big offensive rebounds couldn't hit a free throw he even hit a three-pointer as the shot clock was winding down as of course uh, they weren't guarding him at all which you know i mean i think when canter is involved in some of their bench guys you can do it that way Uh, and interested that we didn't see robert williams after it seemed like he had a good stint in the first one romeo langford and brad wanamaker both played 23 minutes there was a lot of garbage time in this of course but uh and both those guys were one of one for three langford doing it with that torn wrist ligament 
But certainly Philly can send some more help. If they're going to drop and bead back, they don't have Gordon Hayward anymore. Maybe you can bring a little bit more help from the wings on some of these pick and roll if you're going to leave Joel Embiid back there. Um, I got a few more notes here, but anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, I think we've hit, I think we've hit on just about everything from my perspective. So a, a few of mine, if you watch Joel Embiid in this game, and this was right after the Utah game, and Joel Embiid was talked about as defensive player of the year. They're talking about as in the same league as Rudy Gobert. No fucking way. Not this version of Embiid. Not this version of Gobert. Gobert is all over the place. He's incredibly high energy. Yes, Embiid has to post up more. He's got some more offensive responsibilities, particularly now with Simmons out. But he's the activity level is not very high. He's moving slowly. He's not getting back on defense. He's not, I mean, because th- what makes Gobert so special is the amount of ground that he's able to cover and still protect the rim. And Joel Embiid and pro- protects the rim. He's still pretty good at that. Although I thought the Celtics did get like a lot of layups kind of around him. Like he looked pretty uninspired. Uh, I mean, this is a 136 offensive rating for the Celtics in this game. And yeah, they were 19 of 43 from three and Tatum was eight of 12 from three and, and five assists too. But the Celtics only 20 assists. A lot of that is just because their pick and roll bell handlers are just going to work and walk he is one of the best in the league like he sets up screens so well and if he gets open in the mid-range with a clean look like that's going down for sure like he he didn't have the three ball going today but you know he is one of those players where a mid-ranger is a really good shot for him and he can take the three from that position also um they yeah yeah Oh, I have one more stat. One way that this series has been irrevocably changed without Ben Simmons is Philly is not getting transition. The way Queenie Glass does it, 90.6% of their possessions were in the half court. And that is appallingly high. Like that's that's basically, the that would be the lowest transition frequency in the entire league by a, a lot. So it's funny you mentioned that because when I w- watch games on synergy afterwards and i'm going back and looking at it usually what i can do is i can just hit the button to skip to the next possession or i can hit like the go forward five seconds button after the ball goes through the rim for for a team with philly i can do that even when the other team misses because there's just a zero percent chance they're going to get a fast break off of it yeah and amazingly using queen the glasses filter philly's points per play in transition was a straight zero they were credited with one fast break point on ESPN. So not only were they not running, they also got zero points in the like oh. two times they ran. Yeah, and Boston's a great transition defense, obviously, but they have nobody yeah. to push the ball. They also have nobody to attack and pick and roll. So Ennis Cantor is just it, much like in the two series before he played the Warriors last year, he was able to stay on the floor, do just fine. And you know, he's gotten better in those respects, certainly since his OKC days, but there's this is absolutely zero stress for him. The Sixers run this play where they basically like give Embiid the ball at the free throw line. Someone does a handoff or, or just runs off him to the right side of the floor. And then the other three guys are also on the right side of the floor. So basically Embiid has the ball and the whole open left side of the floor, but they weren't really able to get too much out of that. The Celtics were too smart to fall for that. They sent help because there's four guys standing right next to each other on the right side. You don't need all four defenders over there. Uh, Brad Stevens left Jason Tatum in the game with two fouls in the second quarter, and that obviously worked out great. I think we all know how many fouls he ended the game with. 
Yeah, well, and I, and I thought Tatum early on when I was feeling a little bit more concerned about the Celtics, I thought his second foul in the first quarter might have been a big deal. And then he ended yeah. up it ended up not being a deal at all because they got back into it, Tatum did commit the fouls. Yeah, and you mentioned what Seth said about how the Embiid touches kept getting further and further from the basket. Well, part of that is because when he would flash open to the charge circle, they just couldn't find him. They don't have yep. good enough passers. Like what they do is like when he's flashing, you got as the passer, you got to kind of anticipate like, okay, he's 7-2, he started moving there he looks like he's in front of the guy i'm going to throw the ball to meet him at that spot because if you wait until he actually establishes position and he stops number one it's that you could get a three second violation if he does get the ball he's like oh i gotta turn and shoot it right away and number two the guy can work his way around him and get the steal and so they kept missing him as he would do that and so he only has so much energy he's not in like you know the greatest condition he doesn't play the absolute hardest so when he gets missed on that a couple times he's going to kind of give up on it a little bit 21 three-point attempts that's it for the sixers and they made 24 percent of them that's obviously you can't even come close to keeping up with this boston team which is a really good offense um, and the Boston didn't really miss Gordon Hayward at all. I think they will maybe against a better team. And th- th- I guess that's the other thing we should talk about too here is like 2-0. This isn't like Philly is going home to that great home crowd. Like, I mean, it's looking pretty done here. Like we could be looking at a sweep or a five gamer. Well, and especially towards the end of this one, it didn't exactly look like a team that was super excited about game three, you know, and remember that there isn't a flight to recover and, and the, a reason to be more optimistic. You know, you, I think I think the beginning of game three could end up being really pivotal that if Boston comes out and puts the hammer down and could be the first quarter could be the first half then I think it might be Sixers pack it in and you know they've already been in the bubble for more than a month and just yeah. go well shit. and with no Ben Simmons they know that they're not gonna be a threat to win the championship here and you know Embiid has had I and mean, he hasn't played poorly offensively he's had two pretty decent games but they still it doesn't really seem like they're gonna be particularly close in the end here and they have no answers for Jason Tatum either they have no answers for Kemba Walker it's uh it's a major problem so uh we can talk a little bit about brooklyn and toronto and we don't have to spend too much time this is another 2-0 and joe harris has left the bubble now for personal reasons and so you'd imagine that they're going to be pretty dispirited again without that home game i do kind of miss that a, a little bit where it's just like especially in these first run series it's like you know at least that game three would be like kind of interesting and maybe that team would win one and and give the home fans something and feel like oh we could get it to 2-2 here like series doesn't start it until the home team loses the game and then you know you actually find out you get like a little bit of a gut check for the leading team in that fourth game but that doesn't appear to be in the offing brooklyn played well certainly they junked the game up with a ton of switching jared allen who is somebody you and i talked about this like when he was drafted we both loved his mobility we never see him do that instead he just kind of stays back and he's a solid rim protector but not amazing in that role and they had him switch all the time and it looked really good for about three quarters and then though toronto was able to find a a few things pull away siakam got going a a little bit uh but it was a really interesting strategy and i think a really good one from jock vaughn to take advantage of this team that really has only one guy that you're gonna fear in a switch and that's siakam yeah i i thought that the the kind of the process behind it was was very good and it uh john schumann's piece on this i thought was was excellent kind of going through how how it changed the game you could read that on NBA.com. And 
Yeah, I was really impressed. I thought that it, basically the idea of challenging Toronto, they don't have the greatest one-on-one creators and, and trying to make them do it. And Toronto got enough. I thought that Norm Powell was really good in this one. Some of that was also in transition, but I thought he did a really nice job overall, kind of taking it. Taking yeah, he, he had a huge play blowing by Allen when he helped a little bit and then blew by him on the baseline for the dunk that really put Toronto into control. Yeah, and Siakam had 19 points on 6 of 14 from the field, uh, got to the free throw line nine times. And for for the Nets, it was great to see Jared Allen do something different. I thought that Garrett Temple played well overall, though he did have a big turnover late when uh, Kyle Lowry's defense, I mean, Kyle Lowry just, I'm pretty sure that was on Garrett Temple, just yeah. shut I mean, they did have a, uh, they could have hit a three. Yeah. I mean, they were down six, and then uh, Nets hit a three. I think it was TLC, it, who had 17 yeah. points again. <laughs> Dude, TLC's yeah. good. Now, like, he, he knows, he learned how to shoot all of a sudden uh, with the Nets and another great Nets development story for a guy who was on a started this season on a two-way and it really really bounced around yeah and also I mean uh that was something I'm trying to remember who was talking about this during the game the the battle of weird center play like so they weren't playing against each other most of the time but Kurik's the Nets got annihilated minutes and then Gasol wasn't his day I, I don't know exactly exactly what that yeah. was o- only 17 minutes negative 13 was not aggressive offensively zero points but 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 Ibaka partially Kurik's minutes and also partially just because he, he just I think he just fit in better he had it reasonably well didn't have to do it on offensively but I thought he f- impacted some shots defensively yeah it was definitely the bench units for the Raptors like Jared Allen ended up playing 41 minutes you mentioned how bad Kurok's was but and he was plus nine so they uh they got him beated in his uh seven minutes so when he was at well not quite because it wasn't uh negative four points per minute <laughs> like it was that, that crazy game game seven last year Fred Van Vliet continues to play a ton of minutes and he's it seems like he is more and more becoming their lead premier creator rather than Lowry but he's going to struggle to create a one-on-one and really the idea behind the the switching was we're going to in front of you we're going to make you iso a little bit and we're not going to get in a situation where we're going to give up a ton of threes to you and toronto was nine at 35 and you know part of that was just bad shooting but it also was that they weren't getting the same quantity and quality of looks when they of course completely destroyed the nets in game one well and also um i thought the system as much as he gains it really brought to light og and Anobi's limitations as an offensive player he just doesn't really have he doesn't really have yeah. that kind of dynamism yet and maybe he will in a couple of years and maybe he's a good enough defensive player that he doesn't have to you know it's going to be a challenge for him yeah because they they're able to put jared allen on him now one of my complaints was that they didn't involve allen in the screening action enough they did uh, john schumann had this that they isoed again him per synergy six times i think they only got like one or two buckets out of that um but and then the nets also did a nice job of pre-switching so that ananobi just running up to take the screen well someone else would switch on to ananobi before he set the screen on the ball but you can deal with that too by then trying to if you've got all those guys above the floor you can then throw it to whoever's guarding allen and he can just try to blow by him immediately when it all the action is up at the top uh karis levert i mean what did you make of his game with uh 16 points on 5 of 22 11 assists it has been fun to kind of get to see puck a little bit more but i think it was you know it was it's fun to watch it, but I don't think he can do that in these really high stakes situations, and that's totally fine. I mean, Levert's being paid like seventeen million a year over the next couple of years. That's totally fine, but I, I, it, he didn't he didn't do a ton for me in this one, though he did have some nice passes. Yeah, and, and he's got a lot to do against a, a really good defense. And I thought the Nets did a really nice job of driving to, which I always say you should do too, is drive really 
in one-on-one situations, but do it to pass. So many guys are like, okay, it's I, I've got a mismatch. It's one-on-one. I it's my I have to score. No, your goal is break the paint, force help, and now you get it, you get two on the ball, which is hard to do when the, the opposing team is switching. The Nets got nothing at the rim. Levert only took one shot at the rim out of his uh, 22, and his floater game, which had worked so well, that was certainly off to a, a significant degree. Three of nine there, and then one of eight from the mid-range. So he, he really was forced into inefficient spots on the floor when he had to create his own offense, but he set guys up uh, pretty well. And you imagine, again, with Harris out, I mean, he was so critical to what they're doing. He's one of their you know, established NBA players here, 39 minutes for him, and he's the, their best shooter. So you have to... Well, and when you think about... Sorry, when you think about that they only... The Nets only played three guys off their bench, Kuroks, Chioza, and, and and Johnson. And so one of those guys is going to the starting lineup and somebody else who, who hasn't been good enough to play, I'm guessing it might be Justin Anderson, goes into the rotation yeah. fully. Well... I, and, and all everybody else who's left is going to be a big problem against the Raptors because they're so good at attacking and so good at threat assess. Yeah. Tyler Johnson continues to play well also. I think he's the, earned himself a, he a pretty nice deal for next year. And who knows what was wrong with him the last year and a half, but he looks really good right now. Uh, so Danny, it is snuck up on us here, but we have one thing left to do. We must preview the NBA lottery, which is tomorrow. August 20th. Yeah, Thursday, I believe it's 5.30 Pacific, 8.30 Eastern. And while this is not the most inspiring draft class, at least of the guys that we've watched so far, there are still major stakes. And part of the appeal this year, we already saw teams jump in from deeper in the lottery last year and and have that really change the fortunes of the franchise. And I'm sure New Orleans will be the first team thought of, but I think Memphis is actually top on that list. That job rent completely changed their franchise. And because, especially in the case of the Golden State Warriors, there is the nuance of how this lottery turns out potentially dramatically affecting the trade market and the t- potentially the title picture next year. Yeah, and we'll take you through, uh, obviously, the value of that pick from a trade perspective is huge. Or you know, And if Golden State does get the number one pick, they'll have a very interesting decision. We'll talk more, of course, about that when we see who wins it. But uh, just to remind you of what the format is now, this is the second year of this new format. And the top four picks now are part of a lottery drawing rather than what used to be the top three your top pick has or or your top team shares a 14 percent chance of getting the top pick with the two seed and the three seed which are cleveland and minnesota then you go down to a 12 and a half percent chance with atlanta and a 10 and a half percent chance with detroit those are the only ones in double digits but the lottery odds go all the way down to where even washington the ninth has a 4.5 percent chance uh and it's really only once you get to like 11 through 14 that you really have a, a low chance remember of course the lakers jumping up last year was absolutely massive they, they may not have anthony davis on their team had it not been uh, for winning that because they couldn't get the deal done before that and then they had the number four pick and all of a sudden that changed and then of course the rule is essentially that you can't it used to be if you're the number one c in the lottery you couldn't fall further than four but now you can fall as far as five so basically whatever seed you are you can fall as far technically as four spots below where you're starting off although of course as you get lower that becomes less and less likely another nuance of this year's lottery is that there's only one protected pick that is potentially impacted by where it falls and it's an exceedingly unlikely one that's the memphis grizzlies they owe their pick to the celtics unless it is in the top six 
And functionally, what that means is it has to be in the top four because Memphis would have to jump up. They have the worst lottery odds as the best record that didn't make the playoffs. And they only have a 2.4% chance of making it into that top four and thus keeping their pick. Who do you want to see win? There are two different ways to think about this. One is, where do I most want to see LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards? I mean, it's it's theoretically possible, of course, that, that uh, somebody who we do not see as the number one player goes. And then the other part is, what is the most interesting? For me, the most interesting would be the Warriors, partially because of the how that how the potential trade value of the number one pick they also have the weird stuff with the Iguodala trade exception and theoretically Andrew Wiggins contract also for selfish reasons of course the team that we're geographically closest to that'd be interesting but if I wanted to say of the kind of the top six where I'd most like to see LaMelo Ball I actually the top four all of all have well already. here's the thing I, I my answer would be Minnesota but I don't know that I I, I don't think that they would do it and and basically because I think there's a distinct chance that LaMelo Ball will be better than D'Angelo Russell um and that that yes. that gives them that gives Minnesota the upside um New York would also be good Detroit you know those teams are a long way away but I think that having a high upside player could yeah. do it I mean having him go to Cleveland would at least make Cleveland more watchable that that would be nice but I mean I'm rooting for Golden State I want the maximum chaos there I mean we live here too so it'd be nice to just see that I would like to have them with more trade options I mean the decision that they would make would be fascinating but, but here here's what I'm going to throw out if it's going to be a deeper team Phoenix yeah that would be pretty good um and there's also some teams where it's just like just give me something here like a charlotte or a chicago or a new york and it would be very next to finally win the lottery in this draft but i mean i don't i mean the espn mock today had anthony edwards going number one to golden state although i don't think they put a ton of time in on like where these guys are going to go based on what team it is because they're just going to wait to do that until then so uh here can i uh i'm gonna sim the lottery one time here on tankathon guess who won it Cavs. oh no the sacramento kings move up from the 12th spot the spot that they won a coin flip to get over the new orleans pelicans as we talked about yesterday so uh reminder again please visit dunkdon.supportingcast.fm to learn more about the pricing for dunkdon prime i wrote a long piece about it. it's going to be in the show notes here as it was yesterday once more i want to thank all of you for just your overwhelming response to this i seriously just like could not believe it as i was like looking at the number of subscriptions today it's just so so cool to feel this supported and we are going to repay you by continuing to give you some content and giving you even more as well you're, you're going to get uh, with this membership you're going to get cap sheets which are way better than the ones that we've been doing for patreon so far patreon is also going to get it by the way but uh where you can actually click through you can see our projections we even do stuff like putting in cap holds for a team's draft pick we'll put that in either tomorrow night or the next night once we know what the lottery odds are so you can really see what teams cap space are we have subjective analysis we're like okay if i were running this team what would i do in terms of cap holds cutting guys etc so you can see some of the scenarios that they would have that that's really cool we're doing the daily dunk so you can catch up on all the best writing and podcasts and video around the nba and we also offer this great bundle with the athletic as well so if you, if you go to the dunkdon.supportingcast.fm link you can get basically 34 percent off the combined regular price of dunkdon and the athletic and if you get a founding membership before 
we go live in September, you are grandfathered in at that price for Dunked On. That only, by the way, uh, applies to Dunked On. You do not get grandfathered in at the athletic price, but you are grandfathered in at Dunked On. We're never going to offer that price again. So this is a one-time opportunity before we go live on September 8th with subscription, but you're still going to get stuff delivered to you by email before then. So thanks again. Seriously, I really like cannot believe how good the response has been and uh, just so many great messages on Twitter of support. It really was just a, a day that absolutely made me feel awesome. And so thank you for doing that. It's been fantastic. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.